0: In the mid-15 to 1800s, the Roman Catholic Church had a sola eclipse. The Reformers came along and rediscovered the doctrines of the faith, and also, as we mentioned the solas in our previous podcast of this series, although we focus on one of them, there are actually five of them, and they've been under attack by the Roman Catholic Church since the time of Luther and continues on to today. And when it comes to salvation, Many don't understand salvation. Many don't understand the order of salvation. And today, this episode was springboarded over a year ago in a conversation with our guest, who is on again today with us, Anthony Ovinio, also known as the Reform Rookie. Do you know the order of salvation? Do you know the solas and what they mean for your life, for your church, for your family, and for this world? Sit back, and thank you for taking this time to stop and think about it.
1: Hello? Hello, anybody home? I don't think, McFly, think. I'm
0: thinking, I'm thinking. What were you thinking? I'm trying to think, but nothing happens. do not say anything now. Just think about it. You're listening to Stop and think about it a podcast for the christian thinker in a day when sound biblical preaching has been replaced by man-centered entertainment and the church has become increasingly anti-intellectual this podcast will encourage believers to think biblically and theologically so please join me as we get ready to stop and think about it Greetings, friends and foes, saints and sinners. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Stop and Think About It podcast. Well, today we end our current series on what is Reformed Theology, and this episode was inspired by a conversation I had with our continued guest, Anthony Uvinio, which we will get to. Anthony Uvinio, once again, is the podcaster for the Reformed Rookie and also the website, The Reform Rookie, which you should absolutely check out. Welcome back, Anthony Uvinio. How are we doing today?
2: We're doing good, brother. Thanks so much for that nice introduction. I'm looking forward to getting into this conversation and Semper Reformanda.
0: Amen. And what does that mean for our listeners? Always be reforming.
2: Always uh, conform your practices, your prayers, your liturgy, uh, your theology around the scriptures. And if the scriptures Uh, teaching something that you that's not included in your theology or something that you don't understand you have to change your mind we need to always be conforming ourselves to the jesus of the scriptures
0: because then we would need a new theology yes (laughs) (laughs) i i heard an incredible theological advice if it's new it ain't true (laughs)
2: <laughs> That's
0: right. <laughs> so we referenced a lot and spoke a lot about Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone, mm-hmm. but yet there were five solas, not only one. Following Sola Scriptura, we also have Sola Fide.
2: Sola fide is basically the the words faith alone. We're saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. Uh, nothing to the cross we bring; simply to the cross we cling. When we say we trust in Jesus, we trust that when He was on that cross and He said um, to Telestai, He said, "Paid in full." In other words, our debt to God was paid in full by Jesus on the cross, and we received that forgiveness by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ so we give him our sin he takes our sin upon himself and he gives us his righteousness which is called the great exchange there's nothing more beautiful uh, or more uh, incredible than something like that to to believe that God would put his own son on a cross in the place of sinners who are in rebellion to him is just it, beyond our our understanding and and bottles the mind truly.
0: And, you know, many people are confused about what faith is. Mm. And so when I think about what people say faith is, like I think of the word of faith preachers, they have faith in faith. And mm. another word for faith would just simply be trust. So in the Greek, the word for faith is pistis. It just simply means trust. And so we have people that are putting their trust in faith, they're, they're putting their trust in trust. It's like wishful thinking and um, hope that's rested on thin air. And so as we look, even in Roman Catholicism, they put their faith in the magistrate, they put their faith in the priests and the popes mm-hmm. that, that are sinful and that have erred and that have been outright heretical all throughout church history. So, mm-hmm. I mean, You referenced the gospel and what you just said. So where are we to put our faith? We're
2: to put our faith in the only one worthy of our faith, and that's Jesus Christ. Um, So many people talk about uh, believing in God. And I had a discussion with my Bible study uh, last night. I said, do you realize that there's a difference between believing in God and believing God? Right? Yes. Even the demons believe and tremble. So they believe in God. The question is, do you believe God? God says, uh, his word says, while we were yet sinners, God demonstrated his love for us and that he died in our place. He died on the cross for us. So the question is, do you believe that? Yes. If you believe that, then your sin was paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross. And so many people are like, well, how is it possible that, you know, 2,000 plus years ago, my sins were paid for on a cross? What about the time difference? And I try to explain to them, listen, if you sinned in Adam, that's like 6,000 years ago, and you were a sinner back then. So 2,000 years ago, to have Jesus in your place on the cross just points us to something called federal headship. He He represented us when he went to that cross, such that when he died on that cross— I died on that cross. When he rose from the dead, I rose from the dead with him. And because of our union with Christ, we now have peace with God to forever, and it will never be broken. It's, a, it's an unbreakable peace. It's the only thing that can give us confidence that we have salvation and uh, we're, we're in union with God.
0: Yeah, and two things I really liked what you said. You said there's a difference between believing in God and believing God. And I know both you and I preached through the book of Jonah. Mm-hmm. And so when you said that, it made me think back to Jonah chapter 3, verse 5, where it said, And the people of Nineveh believed God. Mm-hmm. And then you saw the repentance and the sackcloth, the ashes, all the way to the king and down. Mm-hmm. Um the whole city repented.
2: So and the animals, the cows.
0: <laughs> yeah, all cows of them.
2: Didn't, didn't mean,
0: <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. They wore sackcloth and ashes too. There was no there was no milk for a while.
2: <laughs> it was leather, but it was alright.
0: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so um and then the other thing when you said um when he died, we died, when he rose, we rose. You know, mm-hmm. some people come along and say it's not fair. That what Adam did, I'm guilty for. Right. But then when you look on the other side, referencing what you just said, it would equally be unfair to say, mm-hmm. well, what Christ did and his righteousness, I shouldn't have his righteousness as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah.
2: Right. It's the self centered heart that looks at Adam and says, Hey, that's not fair. I'm, um, you know, my because he sinned now I'm affected by that, yet they'll never look at Jesus and say, well, that wasn't fair for for him. He took upon the sins of all those chosen in Christ before the foundation of the of the world. And you, you're not sympathetic towards him for that. I mean, that's not fair. And you know, I, I think most people don't realize that God, in when it comes to salvation, God isn't fair. God is just. Amen. A big difference. You know, you don't want fair, okay? Because if you want fairness. God's going to give you what you deserve, right? So I try to explain to people, look, because God is just, every sin in this world must be paid for. So, one, it could be paid for by you, or two, it could be paid for by Jesus. Which would you rather?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah,
2: right. It's a it's a no brainer. But because of our sin stained minds and our hearts, you know, enmity with God, we don't want to hear that. You know, we want to take credit for us getting to heaven, so to speak, and and doing what was necessary. So we create these religions and these systems of works, something to do that, uh, and we we lower the bar so so low that we can hop over it and say, "Look, I did it," you know. Right. Whereas. Whereas the only one who's merited salvation was Jesus. And the beauty part of it, he gives it to us as a free gift. It's just unbelievable when you understand what happened.
0: And and so not only looking at um, faith alone, but looking also at sola gratia, grace alone. Mm -hmm. So how would you describe grace? Because this word is thrown around. Um, like it's uh, going out of style, but many people don't seem to understand what grace means and many people abuse it.
2: Right. Uh, again, a, a little illustration I use with my kids, you know, if they do something wrong, I said, look, uh, there's three things that, that you can get justice, mercy, and grace, right? Which do you want? And at first they used to say justice. I'm like, you don't want justice. Justice is getting <laughs> what you deserve. Right. And I said, mercy is not getting what you deserve. What is Grace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Right. So, yeah, you stole the cookie. You deserve justice, right? If I don't punish you, that's mercy. But if I give you the cookie that you were trying to steal, that's grace, mm-hmm. right? So grace is getting what you d- don't deserve. You know, the, the old acronym is God ri- God's riches at Christ's expense. Yes. So we get the perfect righteousness of of God, perfect standing with God because of what Jesus has done for us as a as a free gift. He gives us that to us graciously, and you know this is part of the uh, the tulip, the eye, the irresistible grace. Yeah. Uh, but I, I like to call it invincible grace. It's a grace that cannot be thwarted. It's a grace that will accomplish everything it sets out to do. And God, in His grace, saves us. He brings us to himself and gives us what we don't deserve.
0: And this really flies in the face of all the world religions because they're trying to all earn what God freely gives. They're trying to climb to heaven on a rope of sand. They're trying mm-hmm. to earn God's favor. They're trying to earn God's righteousness. I had a guy call me self-righteous because he said, you're just putting your faith in Jesus and you're, you're not doing any works to try to appease God. I said, actually, it's the opposite. I know that not any, no works that I can possibly do or merit can appease God. Only the work of his own son appeases him. So right. I'm going to put my faith in that which he accepts while you're putting your faith in that which he doesn't accept.
1: Right. right. So
0: actually, I'm not self righteous. I have zero righteousness in and of myself. Jesus has all the righteousness and I need his righteousness in me. Actually, you're the one who's self righteous. <laughs>
2: It, it would be like going to the Metropolitan Museum of Art and seeing the Mona Lisa and getting out your little paintbrush and saying, oh, I just got to touch this up on the side here. The moment you you put a paintbrush to that thing, you've ruined it. That's you've, right. You've destroyed it. It's worthless now. That's right. You know, and it's the same thing with the cross. As soon as we bring anything to the cross in a meritorious way, we ruin it. We we disqualify ourselves that we don't make the cross better. Jesus made it perfect.
0: Yes, tell me again what the covenanters said.
2: Oh, nothing to the cross I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Right, that's it. Amen. That's it. Amen. Amen.
0: Yeah, they, these were um, there were people who sold themselves into slavery so mm. they could share the gospel with the slaves on board.
2: Amen. <sighs> Amen. And they only did
0: it by grace. And you know when you look, and maybe. Uh, you know what the old testament was judgment and law and and then jesus comes along and he's like mr rogers right he puts on his sandals he changes his new sweater and and he brings the grace but the same god on the right side of the book is the same god on the left side of the book amen noah found grace in the eyes of the lord he he didn't find it because he, he dug somewhere and he's like oh look what i found Right, And the same thing with Mary, you know, Mary is full of grace, not because there was anything inherently good about Mary, but because God poured his grace upon her. Right. And so it's all of grace and it's always been all of grace. But we have many people, um, antinomians that Mm -hmm. live um, without law. And so Mm -hmm. these would be the hyper grace people. This is the kind of stuff I guess Joel Osteen would like. You know, God. God is all grace, all love. But you know, he, that that blood sacrifice and that judgment and wrath that, that means nothing. But you can you really understand God's amazing grace if you don't understand the brevity of sin?
2: No, not at all. Absolutely not. I mean, the the law is integral. Uh, the Lord is a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. Right. Um I think it was uh, the reformers that said that the, the, the law is a reflection for us to look in the mirror to see where we still need work. It's a rule for living. Right. Yes. And yes. it's a restraint on us. You know, it serves to restrain us from, from further sin. It's, it's a grace that God gives us with the law now written on our hearts and the power of the Holy Spirit. We turn from sin because we want to live righteous, holy lives. We hate our sin. Whereas there was enmity between us and God and we hated God. God pulled that enmity away and put it between us and the enemy. Now we hate the enemy. We hate what he stands for. We hate the, the, the very flesh defiled by the sin because we love our Savior because of what he's done for us.
0: I know one of the 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 kickbacks that people will use that are against Reformed theology is they mm-hmm. say, oh, you have a license to sin. Have, has yeah. anybody ever said that to you? Of course.
2: <laughs> you can just do whatever you
0: want. Right, because if
2: you got a picture, then you can just do whatever you want. That's crazy. Right, right. right?
0: it is crazy. And t- tell us why that is absolutely nuts on biblical. It's oh, illogical. Yeah.
2: yeah, because we're saved by grace through faith, and that not, not ourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to walk in them. Right. So, right. He created us to be holy, to do the good things that are going to please him and are going to bless the world. You know, it's our job to take dominion over the world. And how do we do that? We do that by living good, righteous lives, loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves, okay, and and living a life free from sin.
0: If you hold to the Reformed theology and someone throws that, you know, fastball down, just just, I mean, knock it out of the park. Romans chapter 6, verse 1, what shall we say then? Are we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And so the person who's making the argument is actually agreeing with the inculcator that Paul is coming against.
2: If if, you, if you're going to critique Reformed theology, don't don't strawman it. You yes. know, we, I don't I don't know any truly reformed uh, preacher who says, "Oh, look, once God chooses you, you're, you're free to go." You know, that's your get out of jail free card. Go live, go live however you want. You, you, your ticket is punched on that day. You're good. Uh, we we all teach without holiness, no one shall see the Lord. Right now, it's it's because of God's Holy Spirit. Um, that he who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it. The work is begun; he's yes. working in and through us to purify us, to conform us to the image of his Son, and that's all done with with the law in mind. All the law can do is condemn us. It's, yes. Paul calls it the ministry of death. Yes, it's, it's the means by which we die to ourselves, okay, and live for righteousness for for Christ's sake.
0: It doesn't help us; it just leaves us helpless. It's right, a mirror exactly. that shows us amen. that we're filthy but the mirror can't clean us.
2: That's amen.
0: But all the yes. religions in the world are trying to use the mirror to wash themselves. Mm. <laughs> yeah. It's just smudging that dirt in deeper.
2: Listen, your your situation if you don't know this, your situation is so bad that God had to leave heaven to come down here to rescue you to bring you back. Boom. You know, you you are not going to be able to work your way into heaven or impress God to the point where he says, "Wow, I need this guy.
0: Yeah. Any more than Lazarus could have brought himself out of that tomb. <laughs>
2: right. He's stinketh.
0: <laughs> He's stinketh. <laughs> Actually, I was in Israel and I was in what was allegedly the tomb and it still th- stinketh. <laughs> <laughs> so we move from uh, sola fide to sola Grazia and now solus Christus. Why did Rome have such a problem with solus Christus? They believe in Jesus, don't they?
2: oh sure they they said that his work on the cross uh was uh, accomplished it but it wasn't enough it's not sufficient grace is not sufficient we now must have to we have to cooperate with the grace of god and with with everything that jesus told us to do in order to be in union with him so it's not christ alone it's christ plus the same way you know it's faith plus it's grace plus um, it's now Christ plus me, you know, I get added to the equation such that, um, my works are, th- they, they say they're not going to be meritorious, uh, but they have this thing called the treasury of merit. So, yes. you know, it's kind of like a contradiction. Um, they, they're, they're not going to merit uh, salvation according to them that Jesus did, but our works are integral in our salvation. So I I find it to be contradictory um, and not the gospel by any stretch. It sounds like they're talking out of
0: both sides of their mouth. It does. Because, you know, who controlled the treasury? Wasn't it the magisterium? And so guys like you and I, right, if we died, they would tell us we have to go to purgatory to have our remaining sins purged. Mm-hmm. And that means when Jesus said to Telestai, "It is finished, paid in full." Th- th- there's the problem. He said it's paid in right. full, and they're saying no, it hasn't been.
2: R- right? Yeah, they, they they didn't they forgot to tell you that this is like a a seven season show that's going to continue to go on. It's not paid in full till we get to the last episode. You know, um, one of the things about the Treasury of Merit. They say that when when a when a Roman Catholic dies, uh, the excess merit of Jesus, Mary, and all the saints gets applied to the to the saints uh, to the to the believers uh, account when he dies. Now, my question is: If how much merit does Jesus have? Okay, if Jesus has infinite amount of merit, why are we adding the Mary's merit and the merit of all the other saints? On top of Jesus's merit. Is is Jesus not enough? Uh, apparently not on that system.
0: Well, that was Luther's argument. He said that, I believe in the treasury of merit. I just think all the merit is from Christ.
2: Mm. Amen. <laughs> and he's right. <laughs> I would agree with him on that.
0: So, yeah, I mean, it really is Jesus plus nothing. Because if you have to add anything to Christ then Christ is not enough, but he's the only one that God sent. He's the only one God sent to save. There's one Savior, and there are no other Saviors. And everyone else in the Scripture just pointed to the Savior that was coming. And then everyone after Christ pointed back to the Savior that already came. So we have a major problem if we have to add something to Christ.
2: Right. That theology makes us co-Saviors in a sense because – If if what we do gets added to what Jesus did, well, then we have a part in our salvation. Whereas the hey hey
1: guys, I I just joined in. Uh, Did you say co-sinner or co-savior?
2: (laughs) Co-savior.
1: Okay, because I think we're co-sinners. I mean, or we're the only sinners,
2: (laughs) right? right? All human
1: crime is a a sinner, and he's a savior, right?
2: Amen. Yeah, we're not co-sinners with Jesus. Absolutely not. We're just the sin, the sinful part.
0: Yeah, I mean, I heard somebody um, reference an actual real story. There was a man who fell on the train tracks. I think somewhere in the Harlem area, a train was coming, and another guy jumped on top of the man who fell on the tracks, and the train went over the top of both of them. And when they got both of them out, do you think anybody thanked the man who initially fell? No, everyone thanked the guy who jumped on top. To save the life. So I mean, mm-hmm. it's all about Christ. He he came to save us. I, I did nothing to save myself. How could Lazarus have done anything to save himself? So yeah, he, I mean, he was the he was the only gift that God has given us. Mm-hmm. And to that, our final sola will be solideo gloria. Mm-hmm. To God alone be the glory. And so this way, what glory can man take? None, none. He didn't send a, um, a sinful man when he first formed a sinful man. How did that work out, by the way? I <laughs> feel <laughs> so good. No, right off so, the bat. yeah, right off the bat, right? <laughs> In about day, 24 day hours, one. day one, day he one. struck out, you know. I mean, <laughs> and look what he did, he turned around and blamed God. It's the woman you right. gave me. You're right. He's You're blaming right. God right off the bat. Right. Unbelievable. <laughs> but Unbelievable. Jesus never blamed God. He only glorified God in all things. Amen. And so that we would live for the glory of God alone and not live for the glory of self. We see all these guys in television and sports, and I really enjoy sports, but they just they think they're the greatest. Matter of Mm -hmm. fact, I think there was a particular boxer that danced around the ring saying, I am the greatest. Now Mm -hmm. he's very dead.
2: Yes. And and there came a point in his life. Now he knows who's the greatest.
0: Now he knows who's the greatest. Exactly. But there came a point in his life where he couldn't even lift up his fist because they were shaking so much. Yeah. If you're the greatest,
2: Mm.
0: in the end, you certainly didn't show it because you're breaking down. That 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 moment of glory was very short lived.
1: Mm-hmm. So, are we talking about this for real? So, there are people out there yes. who don't glorify God, or yes, I want to make it clear that they that it's glory plus, just like with Christ plus, the glory of God plus. Like, give God five percent, and then you know the rest of us ninety five percent. Is is that what you're saying?
0: That's how people live. And apart from Christ, that's how I was living. I think,
1: they, I think they give lip
2: service to the glory of God. You know, Christians who don't hold to the five souls, they give lip service to, to the glory of God. God deserves all the glory. But if we in some way somehow participate in that, uh, we are going to share in God's glory because then salvation is not the work of his from beginning to end. You know, he, d- he does the initial work, and then we co-labor with him uh, for our salvation. And depending on which um, flavor of theology, some people say that you can't lose your salvation. Other people say you can. So for those who say you can, then it really you're, you're sustaining your salvation with God. Mm-hmm. So right. in that sense, you will share in the glory because it was partly your effort. Whereas right. when we look at it, we see salvation. From cradle to the grave God's work and God's work alone, so that word glory means weightiness, heavy, so the 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 glory he gets all of that because he bore all the weight of that, in other words, he's the one who's significant in this whole process without him and him alone, we would never make it,
0: yeah, absolutely. You hypocrites, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And so, I mean, it, I mean he, he quotes Isaiah here, and he's very clear in Matthew uh, 15, verse 7, um, 8, and 9. There's nothing I could do. But yet when we try to do it, when we try to glorify God, so to speak, you know, through the efforts of man alone and not through the grace of God, we come up short all day and twice on Sunday. Mm-hmm. He he said, Your heart is far from me. Mm-hmm. Just you, you know, you, we wouldn't want to hear that, you know. Some there's some people they they believe that believe that they tried their whole life to glorify God, only realizing that they try to they, they said they were glorifying God through their own glory.
2: when I think about this, it brings me back to the thief on the cross. you know he was he was on one side of Jesus, and you know he started out cursing Jesus with the other thief, and then then all of a sudden he gets this revelation, like he this man is who he says he is, who he says he was, uh, and he says, remember you know, remember me when you come into your kingdom." He says, And Jesus looks at him and says, today you will be with me in paradise. Here's a thief nailed to the cross or tied to the cross, depending on what version you get. Um, he's not capable of doing anything. There's no good works he could do. He's on a cross. And not only is he on a cross, he's on a cross because he's a criminal. Right? All he does is turn, places faith and trust in Jesus. Right. And Jesus is the one who saves him. Every sinner who gets into heaven is going to be applauded by the other sinners who are there because they know it wasn't because of that person's effort. It was because of the work of God and the work of God alone on their behalf.
0: Yes. And so people, I mean, they're very confused about salvation. Uh, What does it mean to be saved? Who does the saving? And I think we, we, we definitely covered that. It's Christ. It's Christ alone. Your faith alone. Grace alone. From Scripture alone to the glory of God alone. Um, but what about the order of salvation? Th- this is something that many people seem to get backwards, uh, flip the wrong direction. Um, so there is this uh, phrase in theology, the Ordo Salutis. And uh, Anthony, what does that mean? It means
2: basically the order of salvation. Um, It's not a temporal order. In other words, it's not a time-related order. It's a logical order. Uh, So uh, one of the illustrations that I use is, uh, you know, when you look at the numbers, you have number one, two, three, four. One comes before two. Two comes before three. Not temporally, not in a time, like in a timeline, but logically. One comes before two. Two comes before three. So when we talk about the order of salvation, we're talking about the logical order of the process of salvation that that God uses to to save sinners.
0: Now the order I thought it was was, um, I heard somebody preach the gospel, uh, I repented, and then God picked up his pen, uh, wrote my name in the Lamb's Book of Life, and then I was born again.
2: Sure, <laughs> <laughs> not quite. But not quite. That's but that's, uh, that's okay. Now, now now,
0: now, now, just as a caveat, I wasn't very good in math, and 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 therefore initially I wasn't very good in theology either. <laughs> it seemed like there was a, a direct correlation yeah exactly but um i, I mean i i, I miss a lot of steps uh before and i miss a lot of steps afterwards and i missed, you know i i, I was making my own puzzle and right. and and it, and it wasn't it wasn't like reaching into the scriptures and pulling verses and and building this um or discovering uh the order of salvation from God's word, because there's no particular one verse that says this happens and this happens and this happens per se. Although um, there is one particular one that, that mm-hmm. that kind of does that in, in, in a sense, um, which would be um, the golden chain.
1: So from my perspective, the order is this, right? I'm walking down the street. I walk past a car dealership. I look in the car dealership. There's a car with the doors open, engines running, the keys in there. I look at the car, it looks like a good car. I get into the car. I close the door, I put the seal button on I drive off. That's that's the order, right? No, that's called sealing. <laughs> oh, oh, that's, well that's when I was growing up in church, that's what that's what they told me that you right. know, the keys in ignition, God's ready to, he's waiting to save you. Uh, you just have to recognize it and accept it, and then he'll do the rest. But you got, but it's there that it's the keys in the ignition waiting for you. Right. So that's, wait,
0: that's not the order. You had that theology before Tesla. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Even before Tesla, self-driving cars and everything like that. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, so that's what you're going to say, right? I got it. I hit it on the nail on the head. No, Crushed. no,
0: you got the wrong handle, oh. brother. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll, I'll be silent again. So Anthony, what would be like the first stage, the, the uh, the number one in the
1: timeline?
2: Well, I would say you need to be chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, before the world was even Just like the Bible says?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it does. That, wait, 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 whoa, 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 So we whoa, don't whoa. choose?
2: Sing we it. don't choose?
1: We don't choose? Well, you
2: do choose. The oh, question okay. is why? Okay. Why oh. do you choose, right?
1: Explain, Anthony.
2: Right, because what, what we have to what we have to realize is as we're looking out at the world, we're seeing things happen, but obviously we understand that there is a spiritual uh, peace that's happening behind the scenes, so to speak. So you have the fleshly world and then you have the spiritual realm that is, it is uh, coterminous with us, right? So the Bible uses this term called election, right? And in Ephesians chapter one, verse uh, three and four, it says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing, even in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Right? So that verse tells us that God chose us, those people whom he uh, elected in Christ before the foundation of the world. Hmm. So God had a plan and an intent before he even created the world to give his son a bride. This is what we had spoken about before, yes. uh, the betrothal process. He he promised his son a bride, and then his son would eventually come into the world, uh, die on behalf of the bride he loves, and the Holy Spirit now raises us to new life and walks us down the aisle in preparation for the wedding supper of the Lamb.
0: Mm, amen. And so nobody was there in in the intertrinitarian Council to make those decisions. They decided to set their love on a people and it was their decision alone. We had nothing to do with it. Uh, he set his love upon Israel because he set his love upon Israel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was nothing. Uh, they, they were no bag of chocolates, right? No, <laughs> they what, were nothing to write home about.
2: What I like to tell people, is says, I say that salvation requires complete cooperation—the cooperation of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Boom. That's it. You don't That's need it. anything else. Again, the moment you decide you're going to add something to it, you ruin it. So this is um, this is beautiful because, again, if salvation is guaranteed, the only way, mm-hmm. I should say, that salvation would be guaranteed is if it's the work of the triune God, okay? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit – Cooperating together to bring about the salvation of those people whom God chose in Christ before the foundation of the earth. Um, if it depends on us in any way, it's it's going to be ruined. Like John MacArthur says, if you could lose your salvation,
1: so this is wouldn't. where I was getting confused. So, are we called first and then regenerated, or regenerated yeah. and then called?
2: I would say that you're called first. It's the logical mm. order <laughs> of 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 it. Okay, uh, and Romans ten says. Uh, how can they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe of him whom they have never heard? Right. Mm. How, and how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of, the, of those who preach the good news. So mm. the proclamation of the gospel. Okay. <clears throat> is what the, the, the sinner who's dead in his sins and trespasses is going to hear when when the Holy spirit opens their ears to hear it. Now, again, this is not a temporal Thing. This is a logical thing. So uh a, a person dead spiritually dead can't hear anything. So in order for him to have ears to hear, God has to open those those ears and give his spiritual life.
0: Yeah, the preaching of the gospel would would go forth from the mouth of a preacher that was sent, but then there's this inner calling. So there's this outer calling. You know, we go out, we stand in the box, and we preach. And people that are walking by, they hear, or they get a gospel track and they read. And, but then there's something that has to happen for them to hear internally, where it says in Acts 16, 14, wow. one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And so if you look at the end of that, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention. That would be the inner, the inner calling. What was said by Paul, that would have been the outer calling. So Paul was the outward voice, but then the Lord opening the heart was the inward voice so she could pay attention and understand and comprehend. And then it says afterwards she was baptized and her whole household. And so God saved her using the preaching of the gospel, but yet she had the internal voice of the Spirit of God, which called her to repent of her sin Mm -hmm. and put her faith in the very Jesus Paul was speaking of.
1: And I just wanted to clarify, when you say temporal, because not everyone knows, it means that it's not necessarily happening in a time sequence, right? I just want to make sure they understood that, that you're saying it needs to happen this way, but it doesn't necessarily happen one after the other.
2: Parts of it can happen simultaneously. God granting, hearing, and regenerating could happen simultaneously. Right. And to to solidify uh, Phil's point, uh, we look in Acts, Acts chapter 13, verses 48. And it says, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing, glorifying the word of God, of the, the word of the Lord. And as many were appointed to eternal life, believed. So what comes first? The appointment. No one believes before they were appointed. And that's what most Arminians and synergists do. They say, well, the belief precedes the appointment once you believe well then you're chosen in Christ before the foundation of the earth and that that flips the order on its
0: head going from election to calling to regeneration you know i never saw this before in john chapter 3 wh- where jesus said you must be born again and then later on in verse 16 he says believe so it's interesting i've never seen this and i love having conversations mm-hmm with those uh, in the Arminian circle, which I was in that circle, and perhaps we all were, um, when he, when Jesus says, uh, you, unless one is born again, he can't see the kingdom mm-hmm. of God. Unless one one is born of the water and spirit, he can't even enter the kingdom of God. And then all the way down in verse uh, 16, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life or eternal life. And so you see an mm-hmm. order First, the regeneration happens. First, someone is born again, and then they could believe. How can I believe right. if God and, has and not changed it's, it's my really heart? It's really
2: important to, to explain in, in verse uh, <laughs> 3, uh, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. That word see doesn't mean visual sight. That means understand. So you, you cannot understand right. the things of the kingdom yes. unless you're born of the spirit. Right? So... One of the things I, I really want to talk about with regards to this passage is so many people think that this is speaking about Christian baptism, right? You're born of water and spirit. Mm. And no, <laughs> this is not about Christian baptism because this is the beginning of Jesus's ministry. Christian baptism wouldn't happen until another two and a half, three years
0: after this. so now, You mean every time we see the word water, it doesn't mean baptism? No, it doesn't. (laughs) doesn't (laughs) Because Jesus didn't baptize the woman at the well, did he? When he said, give me some water, he wasn't saying baptize me.
2: That's right. And that was physical water. (laughs) And that was physical water. (laughs) That That was physical water. So if Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about these things, and then in verse 10, he says, and you're the teacher of Israel, and yet you don't understand these things. This could not possibly be talking about Christian baptism because, again, Christ hadn't been crucified, buried, and risen again. Christian baptism hasn't been instituted, and he's expecting Nicodemus to know this before that? No way. In fact, he says in verse 11, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. The new birth is something that's happened in the past. We could look at Abraham. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham was born of God's spirit. Okay, the new the new birth is something that happened from the promise at Genesis three fifteen, the promise of the Redeemer, on right. through until and and ongoing through till today, till the very end. The new birth is part of the new covenant, and the Old Testament saints again were betrothed to Jesus. Okay, so the Spirit is the one who brought them to life and is, is is betrothing them, bringing them into union with Christ before the actual wedding.
0: When he says, you need to know this stuff. You're the teacher of Israel. You don't understand this. Okay. I, I, I had a conversation with a friend of mine. One is Pentecostal, and he said the same thing. as talking about baptism. And I said, but where do you get that from? There's nothing about baptism anywhere here at all. Right. Because he says water and the spirit right and, I, and so i said but it, but he's talking about and he's talking about birth so where do we find these words in the old testament and of course we have to go to ezekiel chapter 36 verse 24 and it's amazing he says i will cleanse you and i will give you a new heart and a new spirit will i put within you and i will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you the heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and careful to obey my rules. Oh, I missed the most important verse. Let me back it up to verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols. He wasn't talking about, that's Ezekiel. He wasn't talking about baptism. Right. He's talking about a new heart. Absolutely. And look at the number of eyes, right? He says, I will sprinkle clean water, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart. I will put within you. I will remove your heart of stone. I mean, I will put my spirit within you. I, I just, I don't see the hand of man in that anywhere.
2: Right. With it's all right. those eyes. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I agree, and I agree. Get it. Um,
0: <laughs> I like that.
2: And and I really think the 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 New Testament counterpart to that is uh, Romans. Eight twenty-eight. We know all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn. And those whom he predestined, he called, he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. Mm. Right. This is the, the exact counterpart to that in the New Testament. Paul's recognizing that salvation is the monergistic, the one working of God alone. It's his work from beginning to end, because if a sinful human being took part in that process, because of our sin nature, everything we do would be sinful. We could not add sin to the perfect finished work of Jesus.
0: Because he gave us a new heart, now we could repent and believe. We can have conversion. Mm-hmm. Because when Glenn mentioned before, well, didn't I choose? You you, you made a statement.
2: Sure. Uh, absolutely. You have to choose. But the question is, Why? You know, you chose mm. God because he did a work in your heart and he changed the, mm. the inclination of your heart that was bent towards sin. Now he took the enmity away from between you and God. And he placed it between you and the enemy such that now your heart is inclined toward God, not away from him. So God draws you to him. He changes the desires of your heart. In fact, in Ezekiel, he says, I will place my law in your heart so that you don't turn to the right or to the left.
0: Right. John right. fifteen sixteen. you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. Mm-hmm. I mean... Like- it's clear where the where the choosing began
1: yeah and and basically we're converted from death
0: to life right why would you choose god
1: and and it's like you're on this and i like to go back to science a little bit it's like the law of science is that you you keep going on a path unless hindered by Mm -hmm. something else just like paul was on the damascus road not to go meet with the christians and have a discussion but to kill them. right and he was uphanded his it was completely stopped and his, his, he was blinded and made dumb and god set him on a new path
0: amen mm, the inertia of sin yeah
1: it's mm-hmm. it's
2: it's the human nature to sin the same way um you know my old illustration is if you put a, a plate of raw meat and a plate of vegetables in front of a lion which one is he going to choose 10 out of 10 times he's going to choose the raw meat right because why because he's a lion he's a carnivore by nature Okay, so when you place, you know, sin in front of a sinner um, and something holy and righteous, reading your Bible, worshiping God, going to church, fellowshipping with other believers, he's going to choose the sin 10 out of 10 times. Why? Because that's what he wants. Right.
0: Caterpillars don't. Yeah. Caterpillars don't fly until their nature is changed into a butterfly. That's right. You know, and that's and and that's our lives. And, And that's what takes place. Uh, at conversion and he justified us uh, he justifies us. He he, de- he he declares us righteous in his sight because certainly we're not just in his sight according to our sin. <laughs> right? So he, he declares us righteous in his sight. But many people leave this next one out, adoption. Um, why do you think that many people leave that out of the order of salvation?
2: We're all God's creation. We are not all God's children, right? John 1, 12, to those who received him, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of, of man nor of the will of the flesh, but of God, right? Mm-hmm. So we are made children of God after the spirit regenerates us, but not beforehand, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus would look at the, the, the Pharisees and say, you're of your father, the devil.
0: I think many people forget that uh, their new identity in Christ, Mm. that we are adopted into the family of God. And if you're adopted at one time, you weren't in the family. Mm. But an adopted child is just as much a child as a biological child, if you will. I I heard uh, Vodhi Bauckham, you know, he said, you know, we have nine children. And some people go, um, so which of the children are yours? And he goes, well, all of them. (laughs) (laughs) Right, and so you know, um well, which one of them were born biologically? He said, well, all of them Amen. <laughs> yeah. Amen. you know, because they're 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 trying to like separate and say, well, the ones that were born from you and your wife, well, they're your kids, but then the other ones, you know they're not they're they're not as not as much your kids, mm-hmm. no, we're all adopted I mean, the only kind of children God has is adopted kids,
2: exactly. Exactly. And, and again, that goes back to election because to be adopted, you have to be chosen to be adopted. Woo! Um, right. So they all they all tie in together. You know, if, if if you were at an orphanage and, you know, two two people came in and says, I want that one. OK, praise God. I got picked. Right, can the and others I
0: complain. Bet. You didn't pick me.
2: Right. <laughs> so the The problem, the the illustration to to be apt would be all of the children in there hate the people who come in through the, those doors looking to adopt them and want to kill them.
1: We have this idea that we say a prayer, we become brought into the kingdom. We can still sin, still live the life we had, and we're like locked in. But if we're adopted and we're his child, it's like if you if you were a peasant and you became a part of a royalty, then you have to act like a royal. Right. You can't maintain the same lifestyle. And I think the adoption kind of rankles them because it's kind of like, well, it's just it's something that was conferred upon me like knighthood and I'm a knight forever. But if you're adopted into a family, now you are the Rockefellers mm-hmm. or you're you're whoever that is and you're identified with that person forever. It's, it's more permanent.
2: Amen, mm-hmm. great point.
1: Sanctification, Glenn, what is it? Well becoming more like him that that it's the process by which we grow to be more and more like Christ, more and more like him, and obviously, once again, we started out dead we got life got beat into us, but it's 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 kind of like learning to breathe after you've been under a ventilator. It's hard. It's a process by which you have to learn to breathe and you keep going back. And you're like, I want the ventilator back. And it's like, no, no, no. You can breathe with your own lungs again. Mm. And so we're kind of building up the muscle. And we're we're, we're we're that's what the Bible study, that's what a podcast like this is for. That's what that process is, this process of saying, OK, this was is bad. I know why it's bad. Here's your alternative. I got to do more and more to be like him. And and I think that's why some people are like, well, why didn't God just save me and translate me at the same time? One, He has a mission for us. And two, it is important that we now we're that's the that's the the co part, right? Now we're actively living it. Right? The salvation part, God is it's all God. Even the process of giving us the energy and the strength to live with him is of God, but we're also doing it, mm-hmm. right? Right. We're actively participating. And that's what sanctification means for me.
0: Right. Well, I mean, the, yeah, I mean, and there is an aspect of salvation that we're like, we're set apart, you know, instantly and positionally. But this is the aspect that we're continuing to become like Christ. I think of the verse in Philippians 2.12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then in verse 13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do or to work for his good pleasure. And I think, Anthony, you mentioned in Romans 8, again, um, um, can you give us that verse about being conformed?
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, well, um, those whom he predestined, he uh, conformed to the image of, of Christ, right? So right. we're going to to be like him. The way, the way I describe sanctification, like even in my testimony, I said, when I was saved, God pulled me out of the world. Now, sanctification is God pulling the world out of me, right? Mm. That, That continual process of me dying to myself and to those desires that I had that were worldly when I was in the world. Now it's that process by which he starts pulling the world out of me, purifying me such that I look more and more like his son. So he pulls the world out and he replaces it with kingdom values.
1: Perseverance. Perseverance of the saints. That's me getting up every day and praying and setting the process, right?
0: <laughs> Working your very hardest to get
2: to heaven, Claire.
1: <laughs> Why do I feel like I'm giving the wrong answers every, on everything here? You know what? Anyway. Well, it, 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 it's, it's God persevering us, right? God maintaining. the Once again, we talked about this idea of losing your mm-hmm. salvation. Well, we didn't gain it. We didn't earn it. He did it for us. And guess who's keeping us on this path? Because we still, what what was the thing that Paul talked about that he's, you know, having the mind that he wants to serve God, and yet by the flesh he's still doing the sin. And we talk about in John, first John, how it's, um, if you say you have not sinned, right? So we're still in this fleshly body that's yearning for sin, that's going back to the rotten meat over the vegetables, and. Guess, guess, guess who hasn't even abandoned us in that process? He's still there keeping us on the path. When,
0: when I was in my, um, graduate school for phys ed and I took a physiology course, uh, anatomy and physiology, they taught us that we have different energy systems in our body. So if you're training a sprinter, you train one energy system and that system would be i believe it's called the atp where you use all the gas up in one run mm. right so that would be you know like your jamaican runners they're the sprinters right glenn you you know yeah represent
1: you same bolt he's my cousin same bolt that's your cousin all right he has to do it. Some, somehow somewhere we got to
0: donate to the podcast pretty soon though <laughs>
1: <laughs> and fast yeah. yeah no every time i ask him he keeps running the other <laughs> way <laughs> <laughs>
0: and you can't catch him. But no, you know, no. but like uh it,
1: my- it, it skipped it skips a generation <laughs> with me.
0: <laughs> but like, you know, my friend Evans, he's Kenyan and Kenyans are known for long distance running. And so yeah, you chain yeah. you train a different energy system for the marathon, if you will, and God has given yeah. us, if you will, a, uh, supernaturally, He is sustaining us for the marathon mm-hmm. from here to heaven. Because, or else, like you said, He He would just save us and just pull us up to heaven, you know, like Enoch, mm-hmm. you know, just boop, yeah. there you go, you're up. But He doesn't. He's mm-hmm. not doing that with us per se. He's giving us supernatural strength that comes from the throne of grace, poured out upon us by his grace yeah. to persevere through the end. I mean, Paul said, I finished the race and I kept the faith. Mm-hmm. But he never said he did it in his own strength. Right. <laughs>
2: Correct. In fact, he said, <laughs> I'll yeah. boast in my weakness because in, in my weakness, God is made strong. Right. So it just points to the fact that God is the one who is is sustaining him and pr- preserving him through this. You know, um, I love, love, love the doxology, the the the, the best dox, uh, the best doxology in all of Scripture is the, at the end of Jude. It says now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present mm-hmm. you blameless before his, the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever to him who is able to keep you from falling. So important. It doesn't say
0: is, you're it doesn't say you're able.
2: No. No, <laughs> no King <laughs> killed
1: and, Abel. And, and, That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> why we're not able. <laughs> and, 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 and so one of the things and one of the things that I think why we we say reform theology is biblical theology. And why it rankles everybody? Because you've been going through sola fide, sola gratia, sola Christus. Every single part of this process is God, 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 God. You bring the sin, God, God, God. Oh, you brought some more sin, God, 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 God. And everyone else is trying to like mix in man in there and muddle the waters up a little bit and make and we try to and make us argue about the percentage of God's influence. And I think the reformed position is it's God in every part of this process. Mm-hmm. And why do they don't like adoption? Because God, why do they don't like the, the fact that it's an inward, outward call? God, like they really love this. The car is waiting there because now I recognize the car. I got into the seat. You know, I, I brought something to it. And that's why we think reform is biblical. We're not just saying it because, hey, this is what... We we are actively saying God is the thing, and we're not making that up. Scripture bears it out. Jude, which is like one of the last books in the Bible, ends on that mm-hmm. note. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very clear. Once again, we talked about the the clarity of Scripture last time. It's so clear that my son can understand that he's eight years old. But we, as we get older, and sin gets ingrained in our hearts, tries to make it complicated. Yeah,
2: it's amazing mm-hmm. what. What people do to get around the words predestination, for no, mm-hmm. election, um, he who began a good work is faithful to complete it. You've got all these things that show that it's God's work from beginning to end. and man in his sinfulness just wants to insert himself somewhere in that process so as to take some credit. And it just again, the, the moment a sinful human being adds to that process, he corrupts it. And this is why God alone is the one who gets the glory. This is why we rail against Rome. This is why we rail against Arminianism. This is why we rail against any man-centered theology, okay, because it, it displaces God from where he belongs in the center. Everything we do from a reform perspective is God-centered.
1: Amen. Now, that predestination thing gets me very riled up <laughs> because that's one of the way. I mean, no, 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 no. God pre saw what I was gonna choose, and then adapted to the fact that I would choose. Oh, that's okay. Well, you know who's God in that scenario? Mm-hmm. I'm God. Yeah, and yeah, Phil knows me very well. I, I shouldn't be God. Any
2: no, this God doesn't none of gamble. A- okay, God doesn't yeah, gamble. Yeah. Yeah. Right,
0: and he doesn't learn anything. <laughs> no, yeah.
2: right. So this this was not a roll of the dice, right? And Scripture even covers that. Now, the die is cast into the lot, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So even if you want to, <laughs> think, well, God just rolled the dice, e- e- even Scripture covers that. You know, there's there's no such thing as a, a random chance accident in God's world. Everything that God does, he does with a purpose and an intention. He has an intention mm-hmm. in every single act such that this should now give the saint comfort. Why? Again, Romans eight twenty eight. All things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. God works all things together for good. It doesn't Mm. say all things are good, right? There there, there are horrific things that happen to people, but he works them together for good. He has an intent and a plan, even in the evil. And where do we see the best picture of that? Acts chapter
0: 4. Pick me.
2: Pick the cross. Go.
0: (laughs) In the cross. Right. You always give me the easy ones, Come
1: on, man! Yeah, <laughs> if,
2: if 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 that's not the greatest evil that that mankind has ever perpetrated, I don't know what is. Now, out of the greatest evil that mankind could have done to kill God, right. God brings about the greatest good—the salvation of those He chose in Christ before the foundation of the world. Is that
0: not amazing, man? Only thing better than that is more of it. <laughs> amen.
2: We're gonna get and, a
0: lot of that when we're there. Yeah, amen. And speaking of uh, being there, that would bring us to the last one there. <laughs> the the the, glor- the glorification. You know, I know you referenced before God 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 takes me out of the world and God takes the world out of me. And this is literally where all of that happens in his perfection, mm-hmm. that he takes his whole bride and out of the complete presence of sin altogether. Mm-hmm. And into the presence of only glory, um, and I, I would—I guess—I would think that that's what Adam somewhat experienced when he only knew the good and he did not know the evil. Mm-hmm. And even though he had the propensity to, uh, to sin, although he didn't know sin, we, we won't sin anymore. Right. And finally, we won't sin anymore. We won't struggle anymore. Yeah, but and,
2: sure, we have free will.
0: Yes. And and all your free will would do is you would would freely will to sin to your heart's content. (laughs) And everybody likes to give free will to man, but no one likes to give free will to God. Or I should say acknowledge uh, that God is the only being in the universe truly who has will that is free, free from sin. Can any man say that they have a will free from sin? So then your will is not free. You can choose your favorite ice cream flavor. You'll never choose God because dead men don't choose.
2: The funny thing is, you know, men claim that they have free will. They have the ability to choose and do all these things, and they could choose whatever they want, whenever they want. Uh, Yet God doesn't even have that power. He cannot choose to to lie. He cannot choose to uh, eradicate the plans and the promises that he's put together already. God doesn't have free will in that sense. He's bound by his nature. But yes. of course, sinful humanity thinks, oh, no, we're not bound by our nature. We can we can rise above that. We can choose whatever we want.
1: Right. Now, the, the other part of it is that they accept that God is bound by his nature because they they say stuff like, God is a God of love. Mm. And you know, God won't do this. And God won't do that. Oh, wait, wait, what? Oh, so when it benefits you, God's bound mm-hmm. and you're free. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know what I'm saying? Okay, you accept that the freest being Period has restrictions, but you have none.
2: Yep, that's the folly of man. That's the folly of yeah. man.
1: Yeah.
0: And here's a good question to ask somebody: Can you stop sinning?
1: Right. <laughs> exactly. Come
0: on. G- g- give me 24 hours where you never sin. Right. None of your words, thoughts, and deeds. Give me 20 minutes where you never sin. <laughs> give me 20 minutes. Exactly. <laughs> so j- just to wrap this section up. Mm-hmm. What is the damage when people screw up the order of salvation overall?
2: The the, the damage could result in you thinking that you're you're the one initiating this relationship. Uh, And 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 God becomes the great responder and not the great initiator. And again, that puts man in charge, in control. He's the one who who, um, basically comes to God. And God, because God is love, God must accept him. So mm-hmm. this this really turns things on its head because we have to co- come to God on his terms, not ours. He's the one who sets the terms. He's the one who initiates the relationship and cuts the covenant.
1: When Paul says, you foolish Galatians, you know, basically saying, "How if you were mm-hmm. saved by the Spirit, why are you going to try to live by something else? It, it causes confusion because if you had something to do with your salvation, guess what? In your regular life, you're going to say, you know what? Let me struggle for six, seven decades, mm. try to do it myself. And then after all the struggling of my own, then I'll go, I'll seek God. I'll pray to God. I'll humble myself before God, because obviously I had something to do with my salvation to begin with. And I think it it just creates this this issue and this conflict in your Christian walk where if you just start off with this, this, I bring nothing to the table, then uh, then we're, we're closer to that sanctification mm-hmm. process. It's going to inhibit the sanctification process because we're actively fighting God and telling him, no, we got this mm-hmm. when we, we we've we never had any part mm-hmm. of this. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And uh, just just to switch gears, Anthony and I had a conversation over a year ago
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, about just reformed theology and Arminianism. And uh, Anthony made a statement, don't never let an Arminian outgrace you, because we believe in the doctrines mm-hmm. of grace. Mm-hmm. And so um, just l- looking at this kind of, of thing, we have just some different categories of Calvinists. Um, and so we have, I guess, what would be called the caged Calvinist. Mm-hmm. So uh, h- how would you describe that?
2: Well, I would describe uh, cage-stage Calvinism as people who come to an understanding of the doctrines of grace, and they're so excited about it because uh, this is something that they haven't seen in the scriptures, but now they see it. They have this vigor and excitement, uh, and they now try to push this on other people who don't see it that way. And they do it to such an an extent that they become uh, arrogant, condescending Uh, overbearing with the people and anytime uh, a a preacher uses the word choose they say no 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 you don't choose you don't God's the one who does the choice Um, you know not recognizing that there's this balance in this and if you don't uh, when you're explaining doctrine to someone you need to be gentle and respectful and recognize that although you know these doctrines what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not, you know, God graciously opened your eyes to these truths. Don't think now that you're going to force them down other people's throats and berate them because they don't see them.
1: And, and one issue that comes up too, is this, it, when I deal with this is as I basically say, okay, we, yes, it's a very important order of Seleucus, Seleucus, but if you are living each day, as if God is sovereign, I'll give you a little grace in us having a disagreement about the the beginning process. But if you're in the sanctification, the perseverance, and you're like, God gets everything. We we can relax on that a little bit, as opposed to someone who is both saying no and actively not living with God as Mm -hmm. sovereign. Amen.
0: Yeah. And, and, and I think, um, when I remembered Anthony was saying that, uh, many people, (laughs) they forget that they're called the doctrines of grace. (laughs) And so then they act as if they're doctrines of arrogance and pride. Mm. Um, And I know more than you because I know myself, I I didn't understand nor accept the doctrines of grace when I first heard them. Mm. And like you said, you know, there was, you know, kind of like, you know, swallow this, you know, and it's like, you're trying to stick a watermelon down my throat. You're not even trying to like, you know, cut it up a little bit. Um, and so I outright rejected it. Mm. <laughs> I outright rejected it because it wasn't, it wasn't shared um, with grace and, and God opens your eyes at the time that he chooses to. Mm. I can't, you know, I can't rip your eyelids open, staple them open so that you could see the doctrines of grace. Mm. So if we believe in the doctrines of grace, <laughs> Then why do we think that we can open the heart all of a sudden?
2: Right. Yeah. Look, if if you're going to talk to somebody about the doctrines of grace and act in a manner that is opposite of that and be ungracious, well, then everything that you say is going to fall on deaf ears. In fact, you might harden their hearts towards the doctrines of grace, in which case you're going to be held responsible for that. So if you're going to hold to the doctrines of grace, make sure you do it graciously. You know, Colossians 4, 5, 6 is walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of, use of the time. Make your, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you know how to answer every person. <laughs> so if our speech isn't gracious and loving and for the edification of the other person, well, then we're doing it out of arrogance, right? We're doing it maybe to exercise um, a little su- superiority over someone. And again, the scripture says knowledge puffs up, love builds up. Hmm. Our job is to sow into human beings. Uh, if we, if it's the doctrines of grace, do it in a manner that's graceful, edifying for their benefit, not so that you win an argument, not so that you can show them your superiority and knowing the scriptures and all these doctrines,
0: but for their benefit.
2: If you, if your doctrine doesn't lead you to love your fellow man, walk away.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I would say that this is kind of like the young restless and reform because reform theology has had a resurgence, mm-hmm. um, in, in, in seminaries, uh, in churches. Um, I mean, a, a lot of people began to become interested in reform theology and, and it's been taking off and growing and expanding in, in that respect. But, um, but one of the things is and just to piggyback on what you were just saying it seems that um there is an intellectual pride that many people try to exhibit and in that they're uh, using these two frames these two words they're orthodox in their belief but the orthopraxy living out the belief is not there and so they think that they're learning or. Orth- uh, you know, a, a correct doctrine just for the sake of knowing correct doctrine, but doctrine is supposed to lead to the way that you exhibit your life. Mm-hmm. And so we have guys, let's say that, um, you know, no justification and know the doctrine of sanctification, but then they never serve in the church. They never serve in the body. Right. Um, they, you know, they, they, they never want to minister to others. Mm-hmm. They just want to keep reading theology books and they should desire to read theology books how I many i applaud that mm-hmm. but then after you pick up a theology book listen when you're in the church pick up a chair and move it too you know like help <laughs> like serve you know so we we learn we learn doctrine so we can serve Amen. serve Christ serve his body and reach those that are lost mm-hmm. because then I mean, Nicodemus still needed to be born again. He was a walking Bible. If you wanted to know chapter and verse, I mean, Nicodemus was your man. But Jesus still said, you're a teacher of Israel. Mm. You're a walking theologian. I mean, he was probably a Calvinist to run through, you know, if you will. (laughs) But he still needed to be born again. So somebody could be, you know, reformed in their theology and still be lost. Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, there's, and there's, and there's that's many, a dangerous place to be in.
2: Yeah, this, the scariest verse in all of Scripture, as far as I'm concerned, is Matthew 7, 21. There will be many <laughs> who come to me on that day who say, Lord, Lord. Right? They get the identity of Jesus right. They call him Lord. Lord, Lord. Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we perform miracles? And Jesus looks at them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Right? They're workers of iniquity. They abandon the law of God. OK, they sowed to their flesh and now they're going to reap from that flesh. Right. So what is what does Paul say? If I speak in the tongue of men and angels and have not love, I'm but a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. If your mm. theology doesn't lead you to love and service, OK, something is wrong inside of you. Right. Yes. You, you, if, you if you're uh, holding to the doctrines of grace and acting in an arrogant manner, all you're doing is proving that the T is true. Right mm. all you 're doing is 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 displaying your depraved heart in front of everyone to see so that they 'll agree, yeah, you know what the tea and tulip is true he 's a perfect example of it, <laughs> but that's not where God wants to leave you, you know, you yeah. need to be gracious in explaining these doctrines because these things aren't easy to easy to understand. look, I know I read the scriptures you know several times here in different perspectives. It was only by the grace of God that one day i 'm reading John. Chapter 1, and it says, the, the verse I quoted before, John 12, to those who received him, right, who called on his name, who were born not of the will of man, nor of blood, <clears throat> nor of something else, but of the will of God. It was that moment that I looked, and I'm like, this was nothing about my will, nothing. It was, this was totally the will of God, and I had nothing to do with it talk about grace just i mean it really brought it brought me to tears because i understood at that moment that this was god's gracious love and mercy being poured out on me by his holy spirit to point me to cling to his his son jesus and mm, there's just nothing that i did nothing that yeah. i did it's so uh, it's so freeing and then think about it if there was nothing that i did <clears throat> that got me to that point that point There's nothing I can do to get me out of that situation, right? Amen. And it also leads you to believe, okay, that he owns you. There's nothing he can't ask us to do that we can say, oh, no, I'm not doing that.
0: Right. Right. Saying no, Lord is an (laughs) oxymoron. Right.
2: You know, there's nothing that we did that put him in our debt. You know, we are in his debt forever, you know, indebted Mm -hmm. to him we're 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 slaves of Christ bond servants of the Lord willingly we want to um no one who's born again keeps on sinning right so again you can have you can have right doctrine but if you if you have not been born of God's spirit i would urge you to repent and trust in the savior right you can know lots of bible verses you can be able to recite them in fact you might be able to preach, but if your heart hasn't been converted and you're relying on something that you've done, some talent or gift that you have as the merit by which you're going to enter God's presence, or you're, you're relying on something in you that makes you right in God's sight, you need to repent. That's that's heresy. That's yeah. sin. Okay, that's every that's a man centered doctrine that does not give all the glory to God. You need to recognize that.
0: Yeah. And and we have we have people, they make theology God, Mm. you know, um, instead of submitting to God as God. There's there's a disconnection of believing reformed theology um, versus living the truths of it. And so um, we have this, you know, this intellectual Calvinist, this young restless reform or cage stage. Um, but then I want to finish off with this one. So w- we have some that are kind of like closet Calvinists because the whole church is Arminian. And now they like these people, their relationships. Mm-hmm. They might be, you know, uh, involved in, in ministry in some way, shape or form. You know, um, I mean, I've heard of people in in this boat from from the person who leads music all the way up to the pastor himself. Mm. (laughs) And so, like, what are they to do? Should, Should they stay in those churches Um, some begin to leak out and then they try maybe to become a, uh, a, you know, like a Luther or something like that and reform it. What is the closet Calvinist to do?
2: Well, I think they have to be prayerful about their situation, especially if they're a member of that church body. Um, It's, it's, it's going to depend on their level of maturity and their level of hunger. Um, If they're in a church that's preaching, uh, moderate Calvinism or Arminianism. Uh, it might be something that they can tolerate, you know, depending on, on what the, the attitude of the pastor is. Okay. If, if the pastor is dead set against Reformed theology, I think that that would be a reason that you could talk to the pastor and then consider moving on. But if you did move on, you'd have to find a church, a good church, um, that's going to teach and preach the doctrines of grace. Um, yeah. I I wouldn't I wouldn't make make it a goal for that person to try to change the whole church and say, look, I I had this epiphany. I now see the doctrines of grace. We as a church have to embrace this. I think that would be go about it, going about it the wrong way. I think you should sit down with your pastor, explain to them what the, the the situation you're in uh, the the realization that you come to that you do accept the doctrines of grace is that and i would ask the pastor is that something that would uh cause you uh, an issue if if i'm here and i'm in bible study and i start sharing the doctrines of grace i wouldn't suggest that you um just clam up and not say anything um if you're in a bible study or if somebody asks you a question uh you answer the question, but you do it with gentleness and respect, not looking down your nose at somebody, because remember a month ago you were in the same position, right? Right. You, you were holding to Arminian doctrines or uh, synergistic doctrines and loving it right now. God, all of a sudden led you to a a, a different understanding. Um, It's not your job to, to convert other people to that. You could share them, right. And just Again, we hold to the sovereignty of God as, ref- as reformed people, uh, God in his sovereignty will move them in that direction. So he chooses.
0: Amen. Yeah. And, and, and I would say if you're, if you're in the boat of someone who is, um, a closet Calvinist, um, I mean, you don't need to hide it. You don't have to go right. get yourself a pulpit in your church and, and have the attitude that you're going to defy, The leadership there, um, because that wouldn't be showing that doctrine anyway. Again, it it would be graceless. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when 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 you're ready, and hopefully sooner rather than later, I think you should sit down with your pastor and just share your heart with them. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you realize that you're not necessarily asking them to agree with you because they may not.
1: Right.
0: Right. I'm not asking you to agree with me. Um, I'm just, I'm telling you how God has changed my heart and how I see the scriptures very differently now. And the pastor might tell you you're wrong. Mm -hmm. Pastor might tell you 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 believe in a doctrine of demons. Mm -hmm. And they might say all kinds of of things. But the only way to find out your pastor's response is to go have a loving conversation with them. Mm -hmm. And it might start loving. It might not end up loving, but hopefully it will. Or some pastors graciously will say, "Okay, you know, I, I know, I disagree with you. You know, maybe you need to go to a church that holds that doctrine, mm-hmm. and hopefully, you can leave without like trying to burn the bridge. Right. So, you know, if there is any way to do that, try to you know be peaceable, you know, with with all men. Um, and if you are in the cage stage, Glenn, what would you tell somebody in the cage stage?
1: So, I, I would say someone in a caged. Uh, stage um, it, it's the same it's the same advice you know one well one I would say you need to go back once again and remember what, what it means to be doctrines of grace you need to remember that at one point you did not have this knowledge at one point you were in the dark and how would you want someone to approach you in order for you to understand this knowledge and i think that's kind of the same thing this analogy of where jesus talks about the man who had the money that he owed he owed a lot of money the the lord said the 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 the, the person he owed the money to say you know what i forgive you the debt and then he goes to the other uh man who owes him a smaller amount and starts taking him to the debt collector to have him killed and whipped and 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 you see this is the same process so I would, you know, it's it's a cliche, but I would say I you need to first remember that this doctrine is not just something intellectual, but it, it's something that actually is supposed to, to, to channel your heart. And if you're going to say, hey, this is a better way, you also have to be better.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah. So that's the one thing I, I would focus on. And then I would say, what's the most important thing that they agree with me theologically or that they're worshiping God in spirit and truth, Amen. Amen.
0: Well, listen, uh, these are very important things, and hopefully, all our listeners were very blessed uh, by today's episode. Uh, one thing I failed to mention is that uh, both Glenroy and I, with the "Stop and Think About It" podcast, as well as Anthony Avinio with the Reform Rookie podcast, are on. The Christian podcast community, and you could check that out. And there's many other Christian podcasts on there. You just should listen to R2 first. Mm-hmm. Justin Peters is on there, and some uh, one of the guys from Living Waters, uh, and other. There's some good guys on there, uh, and there's even some theology gals on there, from what I understand too. Mm-hmm. Um, please uh, come check out that Christian podcast community. I know that each of us have come to Reformed theology. And uh, I like what John Owen said, one does not have to prove the sunlight by using a candle. And so we know that only only God can open someone's heart and their eyes and their mind to understand Reformed theology and both anthony and myself and and Glenn Roy, we all came to reform theology and at one time we didn't hold to it and perhaps we went through these different stages ourselves where we were you know closet calvinists cage calvinist intellectual calvinists but we just want to be biblical we want to be biblical and we want to be christ-like in all that we say and do
1: it's what I call the the Order of uh, Calvinism.
0: (laughs) The Order of Calvinism.
1: (laughs) Could that be another new shirt? You you heard it here first. (laughs) Yeah, you heard that here first.
0: (laughs) Amen. And I also want to just uh, mention, we are going to the G3 conference. If anybody would like to support us in going there, um, you can uh, go to our website, soulfishingministries.org. And make a tax-deductible donation. There, we are a nonprofit ministry. Um, also, this summer we're planning on getting some of our books uh, professionally published, and so we're going to need funds to do that as well. Uh, every ministry needs funds. Um, don't take funds from your local church. If you're giving your local church, don't don't like give them half and give off us give us half. Uh, if if you happen to come in to some extra funds that the Lord blesses you with, would you just consider us? But always give to your local church first and foremost. You're being fed by that ministry. That is your pastor. You need to to support that work first and foremost. Um, but again, uh, uh, surplus, if, if God so moves your heart uh, in that way, um, we would uh, just be ever so grateful if you were to help us. Um, financially. And also, please help us prayerfully. I mean, you've heard us. You know we need prayer. <laughs> um, also, don't forget to visit the Reform Rookie website and podcast. A lot of great material on there that you can read. You want to know more about Reform Theology? I mean, that's like a one-stop shop for that. So uh, go to it. Just soak it all up. Listen, read, take it in, write it down, copy it, take screenshots, do all that. Um, it is really good stuff, so highly recommend uh, the Reform Rookie podcast as well. Well, um, we're going to be having our newsletter come out in July, which we haven't had out in quite some time. So I'll be updating you on some other things that are happening uh, with Soul Fishing Ministries, to which this podcast is one leg of our ministry. Perhaps you don't know there, there are other aspects of the ministry that we do. So look forward to that this July. Uh, That should be coming out very shortly. And please continue um, to just keep us in your prayers. Thank you for taking this time to stop and think about it. If you would like to contact us, please email us at stopandthinkcrew at gmail.com. You could also visit our website at www.stopandthinkpodcast.com. This podcast is listened and supported by generous people like you. You can give a tax-deductible donation at our affiliate ministry at www.soulfishyministries.org and click on our donate link to give securely through PayPal. Thank you for listening to Stop and Think About It.